Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Welcome back, everyone. We have had a wild and crazy week, and so we haven't recorded as early as we would have liked to. Um, We thought that coronavirus and quarantine was crazy. The worst that it could get, right? (laughs) Um, But then a tornado (laughs) came through our community on Sunday night, on Easter, and um, it just... It came very close to our house. Yeah, it was, it was probably, you know, ended up going, you know, half mile away from us, you know, and just blowing through. And thankfully, we had no damage at all to our, I mean, like, in our neighborhood, it was like nothing really even happened yeah. uh, for the most part. And uh, it was it was very scary. Sunday night, we were about to go to bed, and um, we knew that there was like risk of strong storms and stuff. So we were paying attention to the weather and they acted like what was coming through that it was just a severe thunderstorm. There was no tornado with it. And then suddenly like the te- the like the stream starts beeping with like the weather alert and it turns out that there is a tornado coming through and it sounded like it was going to be through our area where yeah. we live. And so um it was just very bizarre because usually they have more warning. They'll be like, it'll be in, you know, this city or this part of the town in five minutes or whatever. But this was just like, there, so it's sudden, fine. It and was then, so immediate and like sudden. It, it seemed like the meteorologist was confused. Right. As he, like, yeah, he seemed to be like totally taken, you know, aback by how quickly yeah, things like, changed. Like almost like it popped up just right, right here yeah. where we are. And so um, we got the kids, and we don't have a basement in our house or anything. And, like, historically, tornadoes, it doesn't seem like they're real. They're not, it's not like we're in Kansas or something where you have, like, storm shelters and stuff. And you've got tornadoes every day. You know, right. But So um, we got the kids in our half bath with us and woke them up. It was, like, 11 o'clock or something, 11.15. And hunkered down, and the power went out, and it was just, it was crazy. The lightning was Yeah, I looked intense. out the window, and I guess to describe it, it just, if you've ever seen one of those lightning balls that you, like, you put your hand on that makes your hand, hair stand up, mm. that's, like, it looked like that outside, just perpetually like that outside. I don't remember just, hearing, like, thunder. Uh, well, I mean, it, yeah, it was just, you just looked out, and it was just, it looked like lightning continually in the sky. It wasn't, it didn't seem like it was striking the ground. It seemed like it was just in the yeah, air. Yeah, And, you know, so it's just, like, flashing through the window, and it's like, I'd never seen anything like it before. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, and I'm usually not, like, that worried about this kind of stuff or whatever, and, um, you know, but whenever I was seeing that, and then all of a sudden the wind was picking up really hard, and... Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, well, I'm not going to freak out. And the power goes out. Yeah, the power yeah, went obviously. out. And like at that moment, it just seemed like everything was going down. Yeah. And and so, you know, we were very, very lucky that we didn't 
that we we weren't impacted by it, but man, tons of people are. And a lot of people that we know personally were impacted yeah. and impacted like in the sense of they don't have a roof anymore and they're going to be displaced from their homes for, you know, months. And um, I'm sure that there's even more that we know that we just aren't like really aware yeah. of their full and situation. So, and so our church is trying to, we're trying to assemble and help our community in the best way that we can it, while balancing, trying, making sure we don't get in the way. Mm-hmm. And so that a lot of that has been going on. And so the last couple of days have been that. And, uh, you know, we were out, we were without power since, uh, since, uh, Sunday. So that's been, you know, we, it'd been three days we were without power and, you know, you don't really realize all the things that you rely on with that until it's gone. And, uh, well, and especially like with, given that quarantine is going on too, there was no like, well, we could just go and sit at a, a restaurant or a playground right. or somewhere that and just you know stay there for a while like because all that stuff is like off limits now you know and um you know it, if there hadn't been quarantine and everything we probably would have taken the kids to chick-fil-a or something let them play on the playground yeah for a or, while, or, or even yeah i mean even the college dale like at playground over there that you know that we could go and play there and you know that is just it nothing is available that's usually available to you and um you know and that it makes it that makes it really hard like so those two things on top of each other trying to help other people without being around other people yeah. like that's that's yeah. impossible you yeah. know so uh we're trying to balance all of that stuff so, and not letting the kids drive you know drive the kids crazy and you know, trying to keep their lives where they make sense. And to Caleb, everything was great. You know, like he was having a great time with like us being in the bathroom together yeah. and stuff here in the storm. And so, and just like getting to use flashlights, he liked that. Um, it was just, to me, it, it's been a strange feeling of like being thankful that our house wasn't impacted while also still kind of suffering too. Yeah. You know, I mean, because um, you can kind of feel guilty about the fact that, like, why am I upset or complaining about our situation when we know people who don't have a home anymore, yeah. you know? And so that's all very humbling, but it's also kind of like an emotion. It's just an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, it's frustrating to have to you know, groceries are hard to come by and you're trying to figure out how to save what's in your refrigerator. And, you know, we're still trying to be smart. Yeah, about... We have we have a whole argument <laughs> over like a $5, you know, ground beef, you know, <laughs> yeah. that like, I'm like, we could, we shouldn't have thrown that away. And Melissa's like, but it was, it was not cold. And, you know, and so like we have this argument over it that you know like we would never have otherwise yeah. and so you know it's just like how do we you know we need to conserve stuff yeah but we can't keep stuff that yeah it's not good for us and so right uh you know it's just been a different experience and man walking walking down these roads that have been just obliterated uh i mean i've lived i've lived in this area my whole life and so to go down some of these roads um, and you, these, pl- there's places that you're, 
You're like, there's not supposed to be light here. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's supposed it to be covered to be in so trees. shaded from trees, yeah. It's supposed to be covered in trees. And instead, it just looks like a wasteland. And it is, I mean, they do. that. I mean, people say this and it kind of becomes a little bit cliche, I guess. But, I mean, it looks like a war zone. I mean, it, it looks like something that you wouldn't expect. Uh, it, I mean, in our country kind of thing that you, you walk through, I mean, the... You can see people's kitchen. You know, people's kitchens are out there for everybody, and mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, people are just having a really hard time right now. And most people are trying to find a place to, you know, places to stay, yeah. because they obviously can't stay in their own homes, and so they've lost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, we're trying to go out throughout the community and and help in those ways, and um. You know, there was, uh, it, but in these times, there's so many things that are just amazing of how people react. Uh, Kate and Tori told me a story of when we went, um, or we went out yesterday really just soliciting people like, hey, do you need help? In what mm-hmm. ways do you need help? And things like that. And we were taking bags of food to people and whatever. And they were like, yeah, uh, we asked there was this lady that had like lost her home basically, uh, you know, like tree in her house kind of thing. And, um, we asked if she needed food and she said, no, but you know, I don't need the food, but somebody else does. And so like, she like cleaned out her whole cabinet of food and gave it to Kate and Tori. And, (laughs) and, and, and we, so Chris gave explicit instructions, do not take anything. (laughs) from people and so but they were so caught up in the moment they were so caught up in the power of that giving nature of someone that has lost everything and yet they still want to give and they want to help somebody else those are the types of things that are just like I mean it's it's it sweeps you off your feet kind of thing and like you just get totally caught up in that moment and they did, they were like, we realized afterwards we weren't supposed to do that, but we was just such a big, it was yeah. just such a powerful moment. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and today, um, just praying with a group of people, we, you know, cleared out a lot of their, their driveway and stuff so that they could get contractors in. So there's a lot of, uh, chainsawing and cutting up trees and stuff. We prayed with them afterwards. And, you know, the only thing that I could think of while we were praying is just that, how God is a God of, that Yahweh is a God of turning mourning into dancing, that he mm-hmm. is the God of turning these things that were, that are intended for evil into something good. And so like, that's all that I could think about in the prayer. And, you know, it's just like pouring through these scriptures so often it, in these times of need, it's been something that has poured out of me to realize this is why we do this is so that in these times of trouble, the times where things hurt the most, that these are the things that pour out of you and they're, remi- you're, they're reminders to you of like, yeah, this sucks and this is horrible. Like this is not, this is not in any way the way the world was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking around us, we can see how people are coming together in ways that they weren't before. Yeah. And there are good things that are going to come out of it, although there's a lot of horrible things that have happened, um, that there will be some good that comes out of it. And that I think that's what we're trying to, people are trying to 
look to uh, and cling to, and I I just see that so much in in the character of Yahweh, and then his people are supposed to be doing that, and you see in these times of need, you see so much more of his people being that way Mm -hmm. and actually living that out, whereas whenever everything is fine, nobody's doing that. Yeah. People aren't re- people aren't united the way that they are, as you know, a, a, during the the calm times, yeah. as opposed to the times where everything is chaos. You know, and so we're we're trying to be a people that, like our God, bring order out of chaos, and that we can come together and and bring you know help bring bring these people out of a darkness um, that they're experiencing, and and all I've seen. With talking with people that are, you know, they've lost everything, it just seems like they're still full of hope and that they're they're thankful, even though it seems like they shouldn't be thankful. Right. Um, so it's pretty wild um, to experience that and go around and, and, and meet these people that are that way and also meet other people that you'd never meet otherwise because we're always like, uh, you know, cooped up in our own little group. Yeah. All the time, and now all of a sudden we're interacting with with each other in a way that we've never done before. I all I could think about we had a um, we happened to have a Walmart grocery order pickup the next morning after the tornado. No, it was two days after. Um, it was on Tuesday that we had a a pickup, and really the only way to get to the Walmart was to kind of go through where the tornado had hit. I mean, there was like really no, any way for us to get there, we would have run into like seeing the damage. And so driving through there, I mean, like I was tearing up because I mean, it's, it's a area we drive through so frequently. And like Garrett was saying, you're used to it being more shaded and all of a sudden the sun is shining down on these areas and it just has a different feel. And it's, it's like you're in a different place. It's like you're in a different place yeah. and you can see buildings that you normally can't see from the road. And um, But as we were driving around and we also drove to places that we didn't realize were impacted and we see all these trees, um, it was so interesting to see all the trees just fallen over from their roots and thinking about it looked like it almost it was like as if God had like pulled a weed you know what I mean like the power in it um was like if you pull a weed up from the from the root and and just the I don't know just the power that it would take the force that it would take to lift a tree out of the ground from its roots was so crazy to me and um but for some reason, well, I think I know why. It's because we've been reading scripture and talking about this so much. Is I couldn't help but just think about the character of God, and how somehow that gracious and compassionate and abounding in love, like that somehow that's going to shine through in all this. Which kind of leads me to like what you've been uh, a part of this week and what you've got it, what you've had a chance to witness of like people living out God's character mm-hmm. in the way that we always should be reflecting God's character. Yeah. And um just that I had such a sense of like weird peace that all this would somehow make sense and I I mean in a way it's been kind of a it's been a like nobody around us has really even talked about the coronavirus. Yeah. It's like 
that doesn't even matter now because this is like the crisis we need to handle. Mm-hmm. That helping people is more important than something that might happen. Right. And um, so that's just been really, that's been really cool to see. Um, but as far as like, <laughs> I guess this is kind of more on a lighthearted note. Um, I'm really glad I married a camper, somebody who <laughs> likes to go camping. Um, I've always given Garrett a hard time yeah. about the equipment that he likes to buy for camping. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this just feels excessive. Um, but <laughs> while our power was out all this time and to like try to save some of our food, um, we ended up using his stove, his camping stove, and we made, we had chicken nuggets that we made. We used our bacon. We, we made our bacon. We had chocolate chip pancakes and uh tater tots french fries um so we kind of like it was good it was really good to be able to use up some of our food um and, and I, I got and I got to use equipment I never get to use you know because <laughs> yeah, we don't we, get to we, go haven't, we haven't been camping um so yeah i mean it was just that was kind of that was satisfying in some way to to feel like okay we're making the most of what we have and we're we're not wasting. I make great frozen chicken nuggets. He does. They were, the kids loved yeah. them. I loved them. It, it was great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of been our experience this week. It, it's it's also been interesting, like, because we didn't have cell service, like, right. at all. Like, we couldn't do anything. Like, we couldn't check what the weather was going to be. We couldn't do anything. But so we were forced to kind of, in the evenings, um, you know, we studied the Bible together and we played a card played a game. game. We, we played, played a card, card game, game together. And um just not having that opportunity to just scroll our phones was like I think in some ways really Oh, another thing helpful. is I always get ragged on for how many lights I have like how many camp lights I end up getting. I don't feel like I do that. And, well, I <laughs> I feel like you do. But I and so now that we're not having power for three days, I have all of my camping lights and I can fill the house as if it is lighted already uh, with all uh, of my that, good that camp lights. That might be excessive. Okay, but... it's an exaggeration, but we could play, you know, we got to play card games because we had plenty of lights that I we would had have lights for camping. We had plenty of candles too because yeah. of what we did with, or what we normally do with the um, Passover. Passover. Yeah, we usually do Passover uh you know, Easter week, and so I didn't get to do that, which made me real sad, but, yeah, so, it, it's been a hard, hard week, but we're trying to maintain and, and still do things that keep the norm, um, you know, and yeah. uh, try to keep things going and making things as normal for people as we can, um, and uh, try to be, try to be light shiners in this dark, dark world right now. Yeah. Um, so, uh we're going to pick up uh in, in Micah 7 this week uh and finish off finish off this book. Um so I hope I hope we've enjoyed uh this this book and and read it f- maybe for the first time. Um and um so where we left off was the most popular chapter, I guess, a really most, most popular section of Micah chapter 6. Um it's a court scene. Um and in that court scene you have Yahweh saying, "Hey, you know, 
stand up, defend yourself. Um, and he gives them an opportunity to, to speak up saying, you know, if you think that you're innocent, then tell tell me. Um, but for him, he's, he's, uh, basically telling them, I, I've kept the covenant. I, you know, I took care of you in times of need, even before they made the covenant, he was looking after them. There was no prerequisite for it. I mean, he was looking after them whenever he brought them out of Egypt. Um, and, um, you know, and fulfilling the promise that he had to Abraham, um, and looking after Abraham's seed. And, uh, so he brings them out of Egypt and he, he, has that as a primary, you know, thing of like, look at my, look at how faithful I have been to you. And he lists a few other things, which we went over in the previous podcast, but he mostly is just listing out, here's the things I've done for you. Um, and really calling them out for what they haven't been doing. Um, which he's been doing through, throughout the whole book. Uh, and so the, the verdict seems to be what, what did, what did Yahweh require anyways? Uh, and he required um, that they do justice. They seek out justice, they love kindness, and they walk humbly with him. And those are the only requirements that they had. I mean, he sums up the entirety of the law in this, in this sentence, you know, in this, this little, uh, you know, phrase of, you know, seek justice, love mercy, love kindness, uh, and walk humbly with him. And uh, we went through that, and really the verdict seems to be they haven't done that at all, which has been what this whole book is about. This book is about how they haven't done justice to people, to to those that were in need, um, and haven't seeked it out. They haven't been going after that justice. Uh, yeah, my, my mom actually pointed out to me that they've been doing the opposite. Right. You know, like it's not that they haven't been doing those things, it's that they've been actively not like yeah. not doing those things. Yeah, so it's twofold. They, they were yeah. supposed to be seeking out one mm-hmm. instead they're seeking out the, the other, other. Mm-hmm. uh and and taking advantage of them um and which that'll get a little bit of this chapter today and but uh, ultimately he's like, "Hey, this I'm not going to put up with this garbage uh that is uh the deceitful weights, you know, and we went through all of that. These are the sins of the of Israel, his people, uh, and he's saying, "I'm not, I'm not going to put up with it anymore." Um, and you're going to go into exile, um, and that seems to be the verdict. Um, and it's not, again, this whole book is not about destruction of Israel and Judah. It is about how do we discipl- how does God discipline His people uh, to make them better, uh, and some so that something new and good can grow out of it. Uh, so it's not just a God's mad at you. Uh, you know, do something else, or he's gonna be so that he can not be mad at you. He's he's more of a, like discipline, you know, a, a father who's disciplining his children, and so that seems to be the image that we have. Uh, so we're gonna pick up um in chapter seven. Uh, so you want to read this first section? Yeah. All right. What misery is mine? I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they, what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come. The day God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. 
Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace, be careful of your words. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. So, uh, the opening scene of this, it, I mean, it, it's it's Micah's reaction to all of this. And he he's lamenting. I mean, it's a lament. It's woe, woe is me, for I have become like the gatherings of summer, like the gleanings of the grape harvest when there's no cluster of grapes to eat. So it's like the, it's like he's gone out to uh, the field. So um, after they would glean the grapes uh, or any field, they were supposed to leave the edges um, out for the poor, for the people that didn't have, uh, so that they could come and eat uh, and have something to to fill themselves with and um and so it, it seems like he's gone out to you know he's like a poor person who's gone out to get grapes you know and uh and they're not there um there there's nothing there so the people have taken what they weren't supposed to take that was meant for people that had less than they did um and so that was i think in context that's what's going on there is that it's it's like he he is a person that's in need that doesn't have anything, and that that would be uh, that comes up in Ruth. So Ruth goes and uh, whenever they have the barley harvest, uh, she goes behind and she picks up the stuff that they leave. Mm-hmm. If you remember that, yeah. Um, and so that's this is kind of the same thing going on. You know, and Ruth would be she's husbandless and poor. Yeah. You know, and so she that's that's how she gets what she needs and. In uh, in that story, Boaz is a good dude that actually makes that happen. You know, like make leaves it, leaves stuff for the poor, uh, for those that are in need. And so, but this seems to be highlighting how they're not doing it. Um, but he goes out, and you know, he's like, I, he's going out for early, uh, early. Let's see, uh, that he goes out for the ripened fruit, early ripened fruit, uh, that my soul desires, and uh, instead it says that the faithful person has perished from the land and there's nothing good in it. Uh, people only hunger for blood, right? Um, and violence. Uh, so I really want to highlight how this is a repetition. It, compare this to Genesis chapter 6. Uh, Genesis chapter 6 uh, is the flood narrative or beginning of the flood narrative. It says that man's everything about man's heart was about violence and bloodshed. Uh, and so then that grieved God deeply. Um, and so the same thing seems to be happening here. The the Israel the Israel and Judah are now becoming that people. They're become they've become the people that they were <laughs> that they were liberated from. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've become the people that were you know that I mean the flood narrative is all about cleansing from the land. Um, and so they they've become those people. Um, when they were supposed to be the kingdom of priests. Um, and, uh, you know, so it just seems to be like everything uh, is bad. Um, and for me, I think verse 3 kind of calls back to um, earlier chapters where it's kind of emphasizing again, like that the leaders are, you know, 
not doing things the right way, um, like accepting bribes. We see that again. Um, demanding gifts. So yeah. to me, that's like taking advantage of of people and, you know, just the powerful dictate what they desire and they all conspire together. And it's just, to me, reemphasizing um, what's been going on with the leadership. Yeah, and he's like, who can we trust? And the answer is nobody. Yeah. And the answer is like, I can't trust anybody. But as for me... I will look to Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. You should not rejoice, O oh my enemy, when I fall. Uh, I will stand up. Have we gotten to that part yet? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. We re- You read the, um, as for me, I yeah, will look to Yahweh, right? Yeah, verse 7. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, this whole this whole section here of like, a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, it's just emphasizing that idea of you can trust no one. Yeah, this that, distrust among among humankind. That, yeah. That even those that are closest to each other can't trust each other. So yeah, and just, I think it's kind of like a culture that's been created by the leadership. Yeah. And um, that has just kind of, you know, found its way down to everybody. Yeah, you know? I mean, and you think about, so think about the repercussions of sin just in general. I mean, when we think of the the very first sin, you know, what's the first thing that goes? The first thing that goes in that story is the trust between Adam and the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they see each other for who they are, you know, and that they're naked. They're you know exposed to one another. Could you try again? Uh, the, sorry, I don't know why she went off, but Siri uh, is like goes off all the time while we are talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she just went off again on her iPad. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, <clears throat> we... So, the the first repercussions of sin... <laughs> We've, like, completely lost the I know, we have. I, I'll have to maybe try to edit it out or something. But uh, the rep- first repercussions of sin is the relationship between each other. Uh, is that Adam and the woman are no longer, you know, their their relationship is suffers. They are naked and afraid, you know, and like they're they're fully exposed to one another and now vulnerable to one another, and so I th- I think the same thing's happening here. You know, you just see that more filled out, right? Uh, among even you know brothers and sisters and daughters in law and mothers and so things like that. But so. I love how at the end of this section, hope remains. Yeah. And that's just like, after all that, hope remains. So let's uh let's keep reading um, verses eight through thirteen. Sure, uh, you should not rejoice over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will stand up, and when I sit in darkness, Yahweh will be a light for me. I will bear the rage of Yahweh, for I have sinned against Him until He pleads my cause, uh, and executes my justice. He will bring me out of the light, and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who has said to me, Where is Yahweh your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be become a trampling place like mud in the streets. A day for building your walls. On that day, he will extend your boundary. On that day... He will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river and from sea to sea and mountain to mountain, but the earth will be a desolation. 
because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. So I love how this section starts off with like the juxtaposition and the phrasing of like, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Um, Like all of this kind of like, yeah, I recognize things are bad right now, but it won't always be this way. Yeah, I will. It's it's that continuation of hope. Yeah. So so in this sense, in this section, Micah is taking on. He's taking on the sins of the people. So mm-hmm. the people, he's calling out against them saying, you've behaved this way. Mm-hmm. Now Micah is saying, I have sinned against him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this person who seems to be righteous is now taking on the sins of the people. As the prophet, he's taking on the sins of the people. Uh, and he is bearing the justice of Yahweh. He says like that he's, he's going to execute my justice. And that's not like that. That is like the the justice of God that we've been hearing that's going to be poured poured out on Judah. Um, that you know, this seems to be kind of negative. I guess that you know, it's like he's going to pour out the justice that I deserve for my sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, Micah isn't that person that sinned, but he's the one that's taking it on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will bring me out of the light, but he will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. So there's this like darkness. He's going to sit in this darkness until the sin is dealt with. And then he's going to rise up uh, and then he's going to come out into the light. And I love how for us now you can like so ser- so clearly see Jesus in this of of kind of like this ultimate, this person who is ultimately going to... Um, make us right with God, you know? Um, I just think that's, like, really cool that as a reader now, we can see that. Yeah, I mean, I, this is looking forward to the end of the exile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're not going to... I mean, you're not going to see that... In in the story of the Hebrew Scriptures, you're not going to see the exile end. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be left open, you know, of, like, yeah. you know, we're... We're kind of back home, but we're still in exile. And so this is looking forward to and into that exile uh, in that, you know, my sins are going to be dealt with. Um, and my sins being the sins of the people, which is Judah uh, and Israel, they're, they're going to be dealt with. Uh, and this person, this Micah, in this sense, uh, the, the who is like God. Micah means who is like God. Um, so the one, the one who is like God, uh, will, uh, bear the sins of the, of the people and he's going to rise up, uh, after being in the darkness. And so it's really, really interesting. I mean, you can now kind of, when you do overlay that with Jesus's story, Mm -hmm. it makes so much more sense looking backwards, reading backwards into the story. You're like, Oh, but if you were looking forward, it's, if you were in this moment in time, it would be hard to you know, would yeah. it would be hard to figure out what you're talking about uh, other than you know Israel is going to they're going to be reestablished something you know? something else that I thought was interesting about these first few verses in this section is you know you've mentioned before how Jonah and Micah are on the same scroll mm-hmm. and I just couldn't help but kind of like compare and contrast Micah and Jonah um, because. If you remember in Jonah's prayer, we talked about how 
he never really confessed or really repented. When he was actually in the wrong. When he was, he was actually, yes, he was actually in the wrong. He was not, you know, like he made a mistake. He went against God and didn't Mm -hmm. go to Nineveh when God told him to. And now you have somebody who is like truly confessing and saying, I have sinned against God. But as Garrett was just mentioning, Micah himself hasn't actually, he's just, he's as a leader, he is taking on um, kind of the sins of the people. Yep. And um, it's just so interesting to see like that this is, this makes him like a good prophet, you know, like this, you know, like when you compare to, to Jonah and then also just thinking about how God loves them both and how he used them both and that it didn't, I don't know. Yeah, I I think for it's interesting to kind of put it that way of you know that he he takes on the sins of the people like as a good prophet. Mm-hmm. You know, he let me see if I can phrase this better. You know, like it, it's like he's had all of this like accuse, accusation. Yeah. It's like you guys have done this, you guys have done that. But then he enters into their sin yeah. uh, on their behalf and becomes them. He becomes like them, even though he's not done things like them. He becomes right. like them. And so like, there's just a really interesting aspect of that, that this prophet, this good prophet, enters into their sin to, and is going to be a part of this justice that's going to pour out. And then he's going, and then he's speaking on his behalf as well as I think on Israel and Judah's behalf that through him, it's going, you know, like he's telling his enemies, don't, don't gloat because we're going to rise up. Yeah. And we're going to come out into the light again. Uh, and so, man, there's just, there's so much, so many layers to that, I think. Yeah. They could be spent a lot of time on that. But I mean, think of, now, now look forward. Think about the things that Jesus did, and how he may have been reading these scriptures with what his mission was. Right. That he's the representative of Israel. He is Israel in the flesh. Like he's taking their place and being their representative, uh, and you know, and him being on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, that you know, all of that is happening uh, on their for their sake, uh, and then for the for the sins of the world too. Um, so anyways, all of that is kind of, I think a lot of that is happening really here, you know, in this dense poetry is, is kind of capturing at least a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and, and, and so it's saying that the enemy is going to be thrown down. Um, and that from Assyria to, um, all the way down to Egypt and the great river. So, or, Euphrates would be the re- the great river and then also the Nile um, from mountain to mountain, you know, so it's just like the whole earth is mm-hmm. going to be a part of this. Uh, and it's saying that all of the nations are going to come into their judgment. Um, and, you know, so th- that seems to be what's happening in 11 through 13 um, and saying that Israel is going to rise up and they're going to be restored. So uh, you want to... Is this finishing yeah. it? Yeah, so I'll finish the chapter. All right, starting in verse 14. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance. 
which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will lay their hands on their mouths, and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. So that's how he ends his book. Um, so the begin the beginning of this section, he calls on Yahweh as the shepherd, the good shepherd who is going to bring his flock together. So that came up in I think chapter two. Uh, did mm. that with that last little section that he was going to shepherd his people, uh, that Yahweh would be in their midst. Um, and so now he's going to shepherd his flock, uh, and you know these. Uh, the the remnant uh, that's left over of those that are faithful uh, to Yahweh and and it's Bashan and Gilead they're just they're representative of of uh, good times yeah good good times like uh, abundance uh, mm-hmm. garden type stuff that they're the promised land yeah uh, is what's going on here that um, it's going to be restored to you you're gonna you're gonna gain back what you've lost yeah and then um, verse fifteen reminds me. You know, it's talking about when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. It reminds me of chapter 6 when he's reminding the people of the ways that he's been faithful to them. And it's yeah. like, he's going to do it, that. This is going to be a new exodus. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a new exodus. And this is that's exactly the way that Jesus saw what he was doing. If uh, Whenever he was on his way to the cross, he picked Passover. He picked the moment that they celebrated the exodus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that this was going to be a new exodus uh, for for the people. Um, and so this is that's what's being highlighted here. It's going to be a new exodus. We're going to lead you out of the land uh, into, you know, in, into the promise. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, your enemies are going to be trembling before you. They're going to be like serpents, serpents in the dust. Um, and so there's some imagery going on there of, of what, what the enemies look like. Uh, as the serpent. Do you think that sort of means in a way like they're going to be cursed? Like in the same way like the serpent in the garden? Was well, I, I think, I mean, I think it's more off, more like that, like they're going to go down to the dust. You know, yeah. it's almost like they're going to be trampled over and right. they're going to die. It's going to, the, the enemy's going to die. Mm-hmm. It's going to be dealt with. Um, But I, I do think that there's something going on there with the serpent um, that probably takes more time and to and pondering over to figure out what, you know, what does he mean whenever he uses that? I think it's pointed. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, I think it's, it's very so, much I Genesis mean, like, three. Crawl on the ground, dust yes. like a snake. Like it, it very much reminds me of Genesis. Well, that's exactly what was, what the, the serpent was cursed to do. That right. It would be on, you know, cursed to crawl on the dust. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's very much echoing that language. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going to be trembling before in their strongholds. Um, 
but uh, what's what's really awesome is this last line or last you know few lines who is a god like you uh, and that's kind of echoing on the Micah Micah's name um, forgiving sin and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance he does not retain his anger forever for he delights in loyal love um, that's that compassionate and steadfast love yeah. that covenantal love that's what he delights in uh, all this stuff before the the judgment and things that were coming, those aren't things that he delights in. What mm-hmm. he delights in is showing compassion on his people. Um, and that whenever they turn, that he, he gives them uh, mercy. Uh, and it says that their sins, the sins that were mentioned earlier, they're going to be hurled into the depths of the sea. Um, I just love that with. imagery there. And it also does kind of remind me of Jonah, you know, yeah. when you think about him, yeah, you know, going into the depths of the sea. Well, I mean, and just that, so like the sea is like that chaotic, you know, uncontrollable thing, you know, that, that God creates order out of. And this is like, you know, all the sins, all the things that have corrupted this world are going to be thrown into the the deepest, darkest oceans. Um, and, you know, never heard from again kind of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, and just highlighting how he's going to show his faithfulness, that he's going to keep his promises. That's who Yahweh is, uh, that he's going to keep his promises to yeah. his people. Some One thing that I think is really cool about this chapter in particular is how confident in his hope um, that Micah is. Like, he's... Like, you will be true to Jacob and show your mercy to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our fathers in days long ago. And early in the chapter, I will wait for my, I will wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. I mean, he's just so confident in that he knows in the, like, depths of his soul who God is. Yeah. And I just, I love that as something to aspire to, um, especially in like days and and weeks and months like we well really just the past month I guess has been the quarantine stuff um but just through all this hope remains that just that that is like a a phrase that just keeps going through my mind right now and I know like I saw a picture from where you were working today of somebody who had spray painted the word hope yes on um I don't know if it was like scraps or like I don't know what I don't, yeah it they just seem, made a sign out of it that, and and yeah. all it said you know they're in the midst of like this war zone looking area where their home has just been destroyed and they they write hope and I I kind of feel like that's in a way like where we are here in my yeah I mean Assyria and Babylon are about to destroy them mm-hmm. if they if Assyria hasn't already Babylon will yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, mean, I think Micah is spray painting hope. Yeah. Uh, in this last chapter, last little section. Yeah. That, that's hey, kind of like this imagery that <clears throat> I see. It's like, yeah, I know all this is like really bad. <laughs> yeah. And we've, and things have not been done right, um, but hope remains. Yeah. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah. So uh, one thing, real quick, I, I just kind of want to run over some. Uh, just a, a couple different uh, scripture references and stuff um, d- that I think that, that are going on. Uh, just uh, I'll briefly touch on a couple. Uh, with this beginning section of chapter 7, 
of, you know, this, I, I search for a cluster of grapes that my soul desires, but there's nothing there. Um, I, I think Isaiah is one of his contemporaries. Um, and I, I think he's very much, I think these two are very much playing on each other. But uh, if you're interested at all, um, Isaiah chapter five, uh, be, the beginning of, of chapter five is this parable uh, that Isaiah tells of, of this vineyard owner he plants a vineyard. He like everything like choicest finds, and he he sets up like he he creates like, uh, you know he digs it out and you know clears it of stone, and he planted it with choice vines, and he built a watchtower in the middle of it, and hewed out this huge wine vat in it, and you know he wanted it to yield grapes, but instead all it yields is stinky grapes. That's all it yields is stinky grapes, and uh, the question. Is well, what more could the could the vineyard owner have done? And the answer was nothing. And so, whenever you read through it, you realize that the parable is about how God had he they he had really set up Israel for success uh, and given them everything that they needed, and yet now they are the ones yielding stinky grapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not yielding the the grapes, the fruit that they were supposed to. Um, and so Isaiah is speaking very much to the same people that Micah is speaking to, uh, and calling them out and saying like, you were set up for success and for, you were given everything and this is what you've turned into. Mm-hmm. You've turned into stinky grapes and that we can't, you know, like you were supposed to be a light to the nations, a kingdom of priests and all of this stuff. And you're not any of that. Instead, you're, you know, you're cannibalizing yourselves. And the second one, so I just think that's a cool little, um, yeah. reference. The second one uh, is from Mark chapter 11. I'm not going to go through the whole story, uh, read through the whole story, but the idea um, from Mark chapter 11, there's Jesus is, uh, he's come into Jerusalem. This is his last little section. Uh, so a lot of stuff is happening in, in quite a few chapters, um, but he is going to confront the temple uh, and the things that are happening in the temple. And he comes on this fig tree and it says that it's in leaf and he desired, like, he wants to go and get some of these figs from this tree. Uh, and he gets up to it, and there's no figs on the tree, and he curses it. And then they go to the temple, and he overturns the temple. Uh, and, you know, some specific things like uh, the dove table is turned over, things like that. Things that, uh, the whole point is that they're taking advantage of the poor. And they're taking advantage of people who are trying to just to come in and give normal sacrifice and stuff. And um, so that's what Jesus is so angry about. Um, And then he comes back later to the fig tree and it's withered up. And the point, the point here is that Israel is like the fig tree and that they're showy and they have these leaves that are like acting, acting like they have fruit. But whenever you get up to it and you get close to it, there's no fruit. Uh, and Jesus is saying, you know, he, he's doing the same things that Micah's doing here. And he's like, you guys, you were supposed to take care of these people, but you're not. And he's comparing them to a fig tree, just like, you know, Micah is doing and Isaiah is doing and comparing them to, you know, these vineyards that aren't yielding grapes for people you right. know, that are in need. And so anyways, Jesus is doing that uh, in these sections. That's what the fig tree is all about is like the fig tree is representative of Israel and what they're not doing uh, whenever they were set up to be that 
life-giving presence uh, yeah. in the world. Um, so you have any other thoughts? Well, we got to end the way we always end a book, which yeah. is, uh, what was your favorite part of Micah? Okay. So do I get to go first this time? Yeah, because you last time you took mine. Time. I know. I feel like I usually... So, you know, I mean, I, I think both of us, uh, we, we probably have the same favorite section. I, I mean, our, my favorite mm-hmm. verse in scripture right now, uh, is Micah 6, 8, um, mm-hmm. where it's like, what, what has God asked of you, oh man? Um, but to love love mercy, uh, to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I mean, the, that summation of all of the law is so important to me, and it helps me understand uh, the, covenant, the, the covenant law so much better uh, in, in light of Micah's, you know, kind of con, con, condensing of it, and also helps me understand what Jesus is doing. Uh, and that he's not really the first person to do it. Micah's already done it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he takes it and he further, you know, molds it, uh, especially to the specific question that's given to him. So I, I love Micah 6.8. I think it just, it does world for me for understanding how do we read the Torah? How do we understand the covenant law? Uh, we have to look through it, that lens mm-hmm. of seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. So what was yours? Well, I think I've always loved Micah six eight, but now reading it in the context of like I think my favorite section of this entire book is really Micah six one through eight, um, where he's God is reminding you know is like showing how God has been faithful um, all this time, and just kind of showing too how it's like. He doesn't want burnt offerings and stuff. That like the point of like it's never been the goal to like have an offering just for the sake of a burnt offering. Right. Uh, and how that was not like the intent behind it. And um just kind of seeing that and seeing that it's always been about the heart and the relationship with God and that's not like a new thing in the New Testament, you know. Right. Um it's always been that way. But I think um Another verse that has another section is is how the book ends the verses eighteen through twenty in chapter seven of of I'll read it again, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. And I just, um, that that verse was very helpful to me when I, I know last week I kind of looked ahead to that verse or those that section as well um, when I was struggling with some of the verses mm-hmm. in chapter six of, you know, like, I have begun to destroy you kind of language. Yeah. Um, that it was helpful for me to see how Micah knows who God really is and how he's just laying it out there and, and, and showing me and reminding me of who God is and that like, even though things look bleak at times and parts of this chapter, that it's not over yet. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I just, I really appreciate how this book has challenged me to remember how God has been faithful to me. And, um, just to have like that confidence in my faith that yeah. Micah kind of shows us. Awesome. So I think what I would like to end with 
I'm I'm just big on book quotes and movie quotes and stuff. So, uh, I I think it's it really goes in line with what you were just saying of what Micah is trying to provide, as well as the things that we just need in this in the situation that we're in right now. Um, this is a quote from uh Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, um, and it's a a scene with Dumbledore. It's like whenever he he's actually he's giving his speech at the beginning of the banquet of start of semester kind of thing and he he's acknowledging the dementors are around so these dementors are like their happiness sucking demon things uh that just they feed on they feed on people's sorrows and they're uh and they just suck joy out of people um and his his quote is you know happiness can be found even in the darkest of times as one if one only remembers to turn on the light um, and I think that's uh, now thinking back on it, I'm like, man, that's actually like the theme of the whole book because Harry, Harry is his whole goal throughout that whole book mm-hmm. is trying to figure out how to cling to the things that bring him joy and learning how to fight back the darkness by clinging to the things that bring him joy. Um, that, that's what the Patronus charm is, is the Patronus charm is built so much more on your on this internal, like, what what is it? Can I think, even in this darkness, can I think and remind myself of the things that are good? And then by reminding myself of the things that are good, I can push back the darkness. And so that, like, there's so much, like, I, I'm just starting to understand so much more of that depth, um, especially, you know, and I can, I can see it in Scripture of just how these guys are going through the hardest time that Israel ever experiences. Uh, and the way that Micah gets through it and the way that Habakkuk gets through it is that they remember to turn on the light and that they say, who has God been? He's going to continue to be that way. Um, and he's going to be that to us in the future. Uh, and so that's what they're clinging to. Um, and so I just think that that's a really beautiful thing. Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light.